This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of a W12 podcast. Um, I'm Ben Platt and we are on episode nine of the season. Um, thank you for listening in a tough week, which we'll get stuck into in a bit. Um, what, who have we got on today? So we've got Duncan McCready, ever present again. How are you? Mm. Sporting a new hairstyle, I see. Oh, I've gone back to being fully blonde again. So I... <laughs> It was based on Charlie Austin in the summer, but obviously it's kind of a bit blonder than his probably now was. Now it's Macaulay Bond. Now it's Macaulay kind of, Macaulay yeah, but it's Macaulay now, Bond, but like, I don't want to be referenced to Macaulay Bond at the minute. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Welcome good to you again. On. Yeah, I'm good. All good. 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 Yeah. We've got the returning Chris Hermitage. How are you, mate? The, I had a look earlier and you actually top of the fantasy football championship fantasy football yeah that's uh yeah it's something i uh take a lot of a lot of interest and time in so uh that's paying off for sure uh unfortunately oh. my yeah qpr triple up of dykes chair and sam field wasn't too fruitful this week but uh no, i'm the opposite love, i've not even fantasy football i've not even looked at mine in months <laughs> well i'm third Right, there's like 30, 40 people in there, isn't there? So I'm third, and I just you just keep having a better week than me, mate. I can't seem to catch you up, which is unfair. You good though, mate? Yeah, no, uh, happy to be back on and yeah, chatting all things QPR, even though, yeah, even though we'll dive into the specifics coming up. Great. Um, we're also joined by Tom Gibbs. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, despite um, being at Loftus Road on. Tuesday night, uh, I've put that behind me, and uh, yeah, all roads lead to Coventry now. <laughs> Get stuck into that in a second, oh. oh, where do we start? Do you know what? When I when when last week when I, when we were preparing to do this pod, I'm, I'm still not. I, am I surprised? I, it's QPR, isn't it? I didn't think I'd be sat here going zero points after two home games to the bottom two teams, but a part of me 
thought that it was very QPR that that would happen. And it's, and, and it's not even that, it's the fact that Huddersfield had half half youth team players that hadn't played. They, two set pieces, two shots on, you know, especially in the first half. We dominated the second half. Fifth, was it fifth? How many shots was it? 36 shots on, on goal? Yeah, 36. Oh, off the line, won the saves. Um, Chris, you were at the game, mate. What, what, what was your take? I think the fact that Danny Ward managed to get in after 20 seconds and we should have been one down kind of on reflection like sets the tone for the game a little bit. I know like we really quickly turned that around like Dyke scored within 90 seconds and that was like the pretty much typical like be all move at the moment. Get the full back uh, with the ball interchanging with like a willock or chair, someone to the byline cutting it across and an easy finish from six yard box. But it's just it was that period last year or under Warburton where we just seemed to concede from set pieces like every single week. And like where he admitted, oh, the players get fined when we concede from set pieces. And it just seems like even they need to bring that fine back or they need to increase it or something because that's just <laughs> absolute basics of the two goals that we conceded. Just... Yeah, that, that was what was most annoying for me, the simplicity of them. Really. We nearly conceded two more goals in the second half from set pieces. I don't know if you remember, there was there was two more that we nearly... I think there was another one in the first half as well. I, what I mean is, is the first contacts. We lost the first contact. It might not have been on target or anything, but there seemed... And, and, and what I, know, I watched back the first goal earlier, and it was... Um, Ethan Laird was marking their centre half, and he was already won the header and, and, and pushed it back. So I kind of, I was a bit frustrated. And, and the second balls as well, not winning the second balls, which is something that I've highlighted historically. Around, we just don't seem to be winning those second balls. Birmingham goal was a, was a key example of that as well. Um, and there's been other there's been other ones. Um, Tom, what was your take on the game? That you were there as well, weren't you? I was, yes. Um, I can't really disagree with the manager's assessment after the game that we we lost we lost the game to two set pieces, weren't good enough in the box defending those set pieces, and uh, uh, it's a it's a bit of a cliche, but you have to earn the rights to play some of the football that we are aspiring to play, and uh, that starts with doing the basics right so um very frustrating i, I was telling uh, everyone around me that we would definitely get back into this game for uh, most of uh, the first half and up until about 80 minutes so um uh, yeah i i wasn't too downbeat about it i thought it was a better performance than west brom on saturday um but yeah it is undeniably disappointing to come out of that week with zero points Doug, what, 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 obviously you watched the game Frustrating, I guess, is the word. Um, is do we need to be worried, or is this a, just a little blip that everyone goes through? Um, I mean, it, it could be a little blip. What one point from the last four games? It's a blip, but like it was inevitable, wasn't it? Like Huddersfield hadn't scored in five hours. Like they were always going to score against us, and like we said, we've all said like from the set pieces, we looked really shaky. Uh, Thomas, for them, is a really good dead ball specialist. He puts a really good ball in. Like we should be aware of that. That should be something that they've worked on and like have pointed out and noted. And I just feel that we weren't strong enough defensively yesterday against a team who would be putting those kind of balls in. 
but like it is what it is. We're still up and around where we want to be. Let's just hope that we get a result against Coventry at the weekend and go into the international break semi on a like good level rather than losing to Coventry and then that we'll be going into that break on a disaster, won't it? Personally. Do we think I mean it was very similar to the Birmingham goal? Um it I'd look at the but said he was pretty far out. I mean, I'm not a goalkeeper expert and I, I mean I don't know, but it looked like he was probably a bit further out than he maybe should have been. Is that harsh? Does anyone think that was harsh? Is it to be honest, yeah. I've never played in goal, played pretty much most other positions on the football <laughs> pitch. So I always find it so difficult to judge if you haven't been a keeper because it's so so easy for us to then go, he was too far off his line, or at other times he's not far enough out. Like just as that was as, as the ball was like dropping, just honestly seemed like slow motion from my seat. And you're like, this is destined to go in, isn't it? And just if things are going right for you, he jumps, he tips it over or it hits the bar and it goes out. Or as we've kind of had in the last four games, we're in a bad spell. It drops in. They get a bit of luck, tails up um, and go from there. But if it happened, if Joe Lumley had made the same, conceded the same two goals, we'd probably say it was on him and it was shocking goalkeeping. But Senny's obviously got um, so much kind of credit in the bag that I'd like to just say it's just two unfortunate things that have happened close together. Um, and the next time that happens, he'll save it and push it over. I think the other thing to say about Dieng is we saw when he came out of the team last year quite how disastrous that was to the way we wanted to play with, with his quality on the ball. Um, I think he's a brilliant keeper for the championship, but clearly he's not above making the occasional mistake. As you say, uh, I think he's got enough credit in the bank for potentially being a little bit far off his line now and again <laughs> uh, you know, before people sort of start getting on his back or anything. He's been linked to um, to Everton, I saw today. I don't know if anyone else has seen that amongst yeah. other clubs. Um, is that is that do we take that serious? Is that something that that in January we're going to have to fend off? I guess he's in the World Cup squad, isn't he? I think I, I did see a, a fake team sheet going around with Senegal where he wasn't in it, but I believe that he he, he may well be in it. Dunk, do you think we? Clubs are going to come in for him in January. If so, how much do you think he's... Oh, it's difficult because obviously I obviously saw that Everton have linked. I saw obviously Bournemouth were linked as well. But they signed a keeper um, from Barcelona in the summer. So I can't imagine they're going to go out and get another keeper, Bournemouth. Everton have obviously got Pickford. So does Senny want to go and be a, like, a number two for a Prem club? I don't I don't know if it's going to be one of those ones that's going to happen. Surely he wants to play as a goalie. You don't want to go. He's not like 32, 33, and will happily go sit on a bench and take some wages. Surely at his age now, he wants to carry on playing. But if he was to go, surely we've got to start putting like high value on our players and not like selling them for ridiculously cheap like we have previously. Like we've got to be looking at 12 to 15 million, surely. I, for me, he's up there in the top three goal goalies in the championship. Yeah, no, he is. He's quality. And yeah, Tom, the point you make about yeah when Marshall came in and then um, uh, the Irish keeper Westwood, here in Westwood, Westwood, yeah, 
Um, seven or eight other names you could name there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was not enjoyable when Sinny Dieng was not between the sticks. But like an Everton or a Bournemouth or so many of these other clubs, if they're going to spend in January, it's got to be someone to affect their first eleven. Like they're not going to spend money on a backup keeper in January. Like it's utter waste of time. Like imagine if you were, imagine if we were in their position, and you're fearing relegation and the board are like, okay, we're going to spend, let's say we only got seven for him, seven million on a backup keeper. We like, we would be running down Loftus Road to like wonder what the board are doing. Like honestly doesn't make any sense. Um, but interestingly, I looked, I went through the, the five games we've kept clean sheets in uh, just moving off Senny quickly earlier today just to see the centre-back pairings for those five games. Um, Leon Balligan was involved in all five of them. Uh, him and Jimmy Dunn were involved in the first three clean sheets. And the clean sheet versus Cardiff, which I've put an asterisk next to, considering how easy that game was and the fact Cardiff had a man sent off, was Clark Salter and Balligan. And then the game against Norwich was Dickey and Balligan again, but admittedly, I know we've kept a clean sheet, but I mean, I'm, I don't really know how we managed to keep that clean sheet. Like the last kick of the game from Grant Hanley, I, I was watching it on TV and I thought it was in. Like, was very worried at that point. Um, and it's, I don't think it's to say like, oh, that means Jimmy Dunn and Balligan have to play and they have to be the first two names on the team sheet at centre-back. But I do just think it's, do just think it's interesting that those those two played the games again, games together. Kept a clean sheet versus Millwall versus Stoke and versus Sheffield United. Um, like, is is that something that sort of do we think Jimmy Dunn should basically be playing every game? Because if we've got this problem defending set pieces, you feel he's the kind of guy who's like, right, either I'm definitely going to win the first ball, or Admittedly, we generally have Dykes who just goes, right, start the six-yard box. I'm going to head anything away. And then Jimmy Dunn, the kind of player who will throw himself in the way of things or, well, do anything he can to get to the second ball. Um, I, think that, um, I think that everyone fit. I think Beal goes with Balogun and Salter, I think. I think if everyone's fit, that's, that's his go-to yeah. partnership, I think. I think you know, Salt has been out injured and he and he's still straight in um, ahead of Dunn and Dickey. And Dickey's, you know, has been, you'd like to think that he's played, started the last two or three games, isn't he? And his fitness is probably a lot better. But he still went with um, Clark Salter. And I just think with Balligan, I think that he's 30, how old is he? Is he 30, 34? 34. 34. And he's played a lot of football recently. And I just wonder whether that was, he went off at half time, didn't he? I'm not too sure. If that was due to injury, but I think it's more to do with the fact that he's just a little bit tired and fatigued, and, and I don't know whether that plays part. But he's he's a big lad and experienced. You'd like to think he'd have a big influence in the box for corners and set pieces. Um, you know, Salt is not. You know, he's pretty decent in the air. Dickie's decent in the air, like like we've seen the stats on him historic in historic pods. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but there seems to something's got to change with these set pieces because you're never going to win any football games if you can't defend set pieces. That, yeah. that Tom, Tom, I don't know what you think on that, but 
I think that's just golden rule number one, isn't it? Yeah, I would expect so. I mean, the thing you would say about defending set pieces is you would very much hope it is something that you can actually affect with time on the training ground. Um, uh, it, it seems to me that Beal's interest in coaching and training is a lot more about things like patterns of play and um, how attackers link up with fullbacks and positioning on the pitch. I, I went to, um, when, when I did an interview with him recently, I went up to the training ground and um, we've now got those um, uh, lines on the pitch, dividing them into, I think it's nine different zones, which is a very kind of pep touch, uh, which which I'm told is a is a be-all thing. They weren't there until he got there. So you assume his focus is more on that, but there's plenty of experience around him. There's plenty of kind of young ideas around him. Um, you would hope there's enough there to coach a team of professional footballers at a pretty high level uh, how to win set pieces. But some of it's about mentality, as you say, and it's about having players like Dykes um, who, uh, and Dunn who have that willingness to go and attack a ball. Uh, and the other thing, which I think is something um, I just will come back to again and again and again, talking to anyone about QPR and the championship is it's just relentless. And it's, it has been um, very, very sloppy to set piece defending in the last few games, but that is going, if you zoom out enough in this really um, bizarre season where there's so much Sunday and, and midweek, sorry, um, Saturday, and then midweek games um, coming um, more or less, uh, every week because uh, of the World Cup break, uh, you will have these little runs where um, it, it, you know things go awry, and you would hope um, that this is a thing that can be tweaked. And you would also hope that uh, there's four weeks coming up where they can work <laughs> extensively on that with with a group of players that won't be going off to Qatar. Well, you mentioned that you um, that you caught up with Bill um, at the training grounds. I know you did an article for the Telegraph, which I've read. Um, do you mind just? Chatting about you know how he was because it was around the time obviously that Wolves were trying to headhunt him and it, and, it, and it what was it pre him it was after him saying no what yeah what sort of feeling did you get from him and 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 was there anything that you can tell us about him and about the way his thought process that hasn't already been sort of sort of out there in the media. This is not a particularly rare thing for football managers, but he is not lacking in self-confidence. He, um, he has a very firm idea of where he wants his career to go. Uh, he has uh, a very clear idea of what methods he wants to employ to get there. Uh, he struck me as being um, uh, kind of unusually um, nuanced about certain things which you don't sometimes don't get from managers and from players. The thing that really stood out to me was he was talking at one point about loyalty and the easy thing to do there talking to, um, you know, a journalist, but also um, a journalist who was helpfully introduced to him as always oh, a season ticket holder as well. You know, he, he could have played to the crowd very easily there and said, Oh, I love this club and, you know, aren't blue and white hoops. Nice. Um, but he, he, he said, um, you're not loyal to a club that being, and he didn't quite say, this but he, he seemed to be sort of intimating that's a slightly absurd point of view to have that you would ever be loyal to a football club he drew the distinction you're loyal to the people within it and, and he seemed to be saying as much like um you know that he had he'd made certain commitments to Les Ferdinand and to Lee Hughes when he came here and those were the things playing on his mind when he was weighing up whether or not to go to Wolves and uh, that might not sound you know it's splitting hairs a little bit isn't it but 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 I just thought that he's a thoughtful bloke 
there's there's a lot going on there and he's he's sort of thinking about things to one extra level i think probably a lot of managers certainly a lot of older managers wouldn't draw that distinction and and also probably wouldn't have shared that 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 was in their thinking <laughs> either so he's he, he he is very open he's very very sort of clear about um you know his his ambitions in the long run um and I've actually been quite encouraged by how he's been reflective a little bit um, after defeats and he has called himself out at times and said, oh, maybe it was a mistake to do that. And, uh, you know, should this tricky run continue? He, he said again and again, this uh, in the in the mop-up after the last two games, oh, this is our bad run now. And you're putting a bit of a target on your back there if you're saying this is our bad run because it almost implies, well, this is the only bad run we're going to go on. But uh, watching QPR over the past 5, 10, 20, 30 years, you know that the bad runs can go on for quite a while. So, uh, yeah, we will see. Um, it, it will be, um, I'll be fascinated to see how long he's with the club for. I'll be fascinated to see what he goes on to do next. Um, but uh, I'm very pleased with have appointed him. Is there a sense that it, the offer came to like it came too soon from those promises that he made to the, the, the board? And what I mean by that, had had this opportunity come January, February time, do you think that would have made a difference to his decision, or do you think that he will give it till the end of the season, regardless of what comes from now till then, or where we are in the league? I wouldn't really want to speculate about exactly what was behind his thinking. Um, I think that at some point the, the the blinds go up a little bit and it becomes a kind of a private matter somewhat. And there's there's always all sorts of things going on off the pitch which might inform a decision. I mean, he's still living in Leamington, so and commuting mm. to QPR from there. Um, so you know, on, on one hand, you think, oh, well, Wolves maybe is a little bit easier from from there than uh, than West London. Um, but uh, I, I would expect that he'll be with us until the end of the season. But fo- football and the championship and QPR can be so volatile. Who's to say? You know, that we all know. Should he now lose Coventry and we come back after the World Cup and we lose three more in a row, he's he's going to be a candidate for being out of a job uh, in the other way. And um, perhaps we'll be looking back on the time he got to uh, got an offer to manage Wolves and um, ruminating on what might have been. But um, I, I would very much hope he's with us till the end of the season. I think, um, I think, after so many years of um, chopping and changing managers um, more quickly than felt prudent, um, we would hope to have a bit more of a long-term view than that. I, I kind of think, really, the only reason to change a manager this season to QPR is if we look in danger of relegation. Like that would be the only the only possible reason I think to do it within the season. All right, if we ended up finishing 17th this season, it would be extremely disappointing. But for the budget and for the expectations before the beginning of the year, I'm not sure that many people would have been hugely surprised with an untried new manager if you said we're going to finish 17th. I have a, a bit of a gripe with the budget comment. Like the, the, and this was a comment that Warburton meant often mentioned and it's something that Bill mentioned yesterday was the, about the budget I think it was his pre-interview he said you know we're a four or five we hear the same number four or five in the but but and that is I get that to a degree but I also don't think that you take into consideration the fact that we have the players that we have already got in the door that are already top championship players you know Dieng You've got, you know, you've got the two fullbacks. You've got probably two of, oh, it's, it's easy to say it now, we've not won recently, but a few weeks ago we were saying we've got the two best number 10s in the league. 
right? So yes, I get the I get the the budget, and we haven't spent money. I get all of that, but actually, we've already kept a lot, and the quality of the eleven that we put out every week should that not be taken in consideration to that argument, Dunk? I don't know what your view is on it. Like the the budget issues is always an issue, isn't there? Like we're never going to be spending the money we used to spend when like Tony first came in. Like he had his hands burnt and that's the way it is. He's not going to pump money into the club anymore. So we have to cut our cloth accordingly and we have to spend money as and when the board think they've got it to spend. Like we should have spent money last January. We didn't. And hopefully the board have learned from that. And this January coming, if we need to spend money, they will spend some money. But obviously the FFP and all that goes in a three year cycle, doesn't it? So you can only lose so much over the course of three years. Like, are we getting to the end of a three-year cycle where we've been at the high end of losing money? Obviously, we still pay off so much money for the fine we had each year. Like, we don't have a lot of money. And if we did, I'd like us to see us buy it, spend it on a striker in January because we're clearly lacking a, a proven finisher. Do you know what I mean? We need a striker, don't we? I think we massively need that number nine. It takes off the pressure that... These teams that sit back on us, we really struggle with. It's not the first time, you know, Huddersfield in the second half did what you'd expect them to do and did it really well. But what we needed was someone just a fox in the box, just to these locks of balls that were bouncing around the box, just to tuck one in, Chris. I don't know. Do you think that we can go and get that in January? Is that something that we would we'll do, considering we've already got Dykes and, and, and Sinclair Armstrong and, and obviously the two number 10s, just bringing someone in, neglect their development? If that makes sense. I don't think it neglects their development. I think that's, I imagine that's something Beale and the board are already aware of, that they would go, yeah, this is our number one priority. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. It's either, it's either a, a proper number nine or someone who can be a nine or a 10 to play in those same uh, positions. So that like in a game last night where we're like, okay, things aren't working for Dykes, but we want to keep the two creative uh, boys on the pitch who want to keep our width so we can swap it, we can take Dykes out and we're not losing, not losing a huge amount there. Like he wasn't going to bring Bon on for Dykes. The reason he obviously brought Bon on to be like, right, all we keep doing is we keep getting the ball wide. Huddersfield want us to cross it and we've got one man in the box. Right, we'll put two in there. Admittedly, the only time, and I say this loosely, that they linked up was when sort of Bond sort of miscontrolled the ball, managed to flick it to Dykes, who honestly I just had to laugh. It's very unfortunate, but like I don't know, I'm gonna be nice and say the ball came off his heel rather than the side of his foot and actually towards the goal. Uh hit Huddersfield defender on another night could have bounced in the corner and we benefit. It went out for a corner and we didn't. Um but they'll they'll know that's the position we want. But like we've just said. January is an incredibly difficult time to buy anybody. Um, even if you are, uh, if you're a top premiership club, let alone what we're going to be, the amount of money that we've got. And we already know that we're only going to probably sign someone like if Bond goes, if George Thomas goes. So if, even if we're not getting, even if we get nothing for those players, like the wages being off opens up opportunities. Um, but like, who is it? Who is it going to be? I know QPR Twitter will be like, "Oh, Cameron Archer can come in because Emery won't fancy him." Well, 
Emery might turn around and go, actually, he's been amazing in training and Watkins might get injured in the next month. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And suddenly Cameron Archer is second fiddle to Danny Ings and playing games or coming on for 20 minutes here and there. Like, and if he is available, half the championship are going to want him anyway. And Exactly. Know, what, like, you know, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? A Burnley, for example, going to go, I'll tell you what, like, he'd be better than Ashley Barnes. So we'll take him on loan and we'll give you a much bigger fee. Like him playing in a Vincent Company team isn't Cameron Archer going to a Sean Dyche Burnley team, is it? So yeah, it's gonna be gonna be difficult. And like you say, yeah, every championship fan in the top ten is gonna go, go get him on loan. Why can't and moaning at their board of why can't you go and get him? Well, because bloody everybody wants him like. Um, that's just the way it is. What, what, one thing I got a text of someone who was at the game and they in big capitals, right? They put, does Ilias Chair ever pass? Right. So it's right. And I know, obviously, look, Ilias has had a great season. I've got, you know, a lot, a lot of love for him. But at times, and I don't know what this was like for you guys that were there, and you, you, can, you can let me out. I was shouting at the telly to pass, tell him to pass. Did you feel that in the ground? Because I appreciate what he's trying to do. He, he's trying to make something happen, you know, which you want him to do. But at the same time, our goal came from us quickly, quick pass, downside, in, goal, right? That's how quickly it happened. It happened in about 10 seconds. And it, I just feel like sometimes he holds on to that ball too long. And before the, the, the space is gone, the opportunity is gone. Did you sense that in the ground? Uh, I will... I'm going to disagree here and say... Okay. I said this to my dad that I've got no problem if Willock and Chair almost want to take 90% of our shots from the edge of the box. Like, there are two best players, there are two most creative players. If they're not seeing something and they think, right, I'm just going to have to have an effort now, I personally don't have a problem with it. And I'm going to take that on board that it's because they're two incredibly talented players. They can do, and again, we're talking about the credit in the bank situation again, because they've built that up. Like they can come up with those moments. And there's times where both of them are looking, they're looking for like quick one twos in and around the box, but Huddersfield probably had about seven men on the edge of their box, all in the line. Like all they would, I think Willick and Chair really would have wanted, right. I'm just going to play a very quick one, two with Dykes on the edge of the box, but I need the ball back to be absolutely perfect to then have a strike first time. And to me, watching it last night, just those opportunities just weren't weren't there. 
Um, so yeah, like Chair had seven shots, Willock had six. Like I, I fully understand the other point of view. Um, but to me, there weren't many moments where I was sitting there going, that was the easy pass that you should have taken. It was that if you're going to have an effort, fine. Um, obviously, Taylor Richards had an incredible effort with his left foot, well, two, um, that could have easily gone in. And it just happened that he just had, seemed to have a little bit more space than um, chair for those moments. But um, I'll let Tom comment on the chair thing, but Taylor Richards was really bright from those few moments. So that was, that was a big positive to take away. Yeah, I, I don't find Cher particularly frustrating to watch. I, I really enjoy watching him. And uh, I, there is a sense sometimes he doesn't necessarily trust his supporting cast. And I wonder if that is feeding into his decisions of, of when to release it. But uh, I, I think one of the things I loved about watching um, Eze was a sense that he, the thing that really marked him apart to me was his decision-making. It so rarely felt like he had assessed the situation and made the wrong decision. And I think Chair isn't that dissimilar to him in that respect, he, but it's not 100%. With Eze, it felt like 99% of the time you looked at what he'd done and thought that's probably the best decision you had on there. And with Chair, maybe it's more like 95, but again, I, I think we're, we're incredibly fortunate to have him. He's, he's an exciting player in what is quite a dreary league. Um, and... Yeah, were he to release the ball quickly, um, who's to say uh, what happens next to it? And it's always brilliant in your mind, isn't it? When you see the player who's on, think, oh, he could have passed it to him there. But what you're not accounting for there is uh, how well that player controls it, what his second touch is like, whether he's got his head up, what the picture in his mind is like at that time of what's around him. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm very much on the chair, is uh, a very, very good player bandwagon. I mean, yeah, I don't think anyone would doubt that. He's excellent. Doug, what what, what was your assessment of this? Were um, you shouting at the telly or we, we... Yeah, I was getting cross, but like I feel like I agree with Tom. Like if we, for me, if we had a striker of someone like Naki Wells who knows how to get into those little pockets of space, makes the intelligent runs that somebody like Dykes doesn't have it, it's not in his game. Like Chair and Willock would, wouldn't necessarily be taking the shots because they know they could play a, a ball through to somebody who's going to be on like a similar wavelength. Whereas I think with Dykes, it's just I don't think he has that movement and that awareness in the box or the touch <laughs> in those tight spaces to be able to play the quick link up play with those two. So I do think sometimes they take matters into their own hands and try and occasionally might shoot when there could have been a pass on. But like the lads have said, They've won us so many games by doing that. Like it's, I don't want to change how they play. I just want someone else up there who'll make the right runs and make the right decisions for them for the passes. Yeah, I think on interesting you bring up Wells. Last night was leaving the ground. It was probably the first time since he's left that I thought that was an Austin game. Like a twenty minutes of Austin, if he'd come on there, he would have found the space for the one opportunity, and he would have scored. Like, even at the age he is now. Um, and I'm not saying that, oh, we should have kept him on because we shouldn't. We made the right decision. Um, and he's obviously gone to Australia and is doing his own thing. But that was that was the one you were, we were like, that's just the difference of, like you said, that having someone who's just got the intelligent movement to literally find half a yard a yard in a box that's got seven defenders to go, this is where I'm, 
ball's going to fall and I'm going to finish it. Um, but yeah, but it almost feels how many years are we kind of, are we going to say that for like a long time probably to go? Um, yeah, we need the sort of 2014 version of Charlie Austin now. Well, that's eight years ago. So maybe we'll get past it. Or maybe I'll stop going, oh, we need the 2011 version of Adele Tarrat. But <laughs> this is why those players were so good back then. That's right. And and the thing is about those seasons is there's such an aberration. We've had so few players up front. You know, I mean, I've been going for 32 years. And really, it's Austin in 2014. Uh, it's that weird season when Andy Thompson was really good in Division 2. What yeah. was Division 2? Uh, and like two seasons of Ferdinand being absolutely incredible. Beyond that, like we haven't really had outstanding strikers consistently. And we, of course, would love one, but we we have that in common with probably 90% of the teams in the Football League and not, and not just championship teams, you know, like Southampton are desperate for a striker. And it, it's... It, I, I, what I what I have a little bit of faith in with, um, with Beale um and QPR and where the season goes from here is I was really impressed in some of his early games with substitutions that very obviously worked tactically they shifted momentum in the game they changed something and I'm, I'm no tactical brain but you could see a problem being addressed and it actually working which has been which is very very unusual for, for a manager to do that and be responsive in that way I hope he assesses what's happened in the last few games pounds the Y scout and um, just figures out some new things we can do to try and counteract the way that teams are now playing against us. And I, and I do think that, yeah, Dykes has his limitations, but there's a role for him as a kind of barreling nuisance, making aggressive runs, getting his back to goal game, going again um, and playing in the players behind him where, where we can be very effective. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we come back after the World Cup and we're playing slightly differently. And hopefully that will be the upturn we need. My question, actually, which was, do can we expect to see a change in Beale's approach? I.e., in my head, I'm thinking three at the back. I think he's always wanted to deploy that at some point, but he hasn't been able to. I think Taylor Richards is someone who he seems to be massively um, affectionate for, and has a big, you know, he, he often bigs him up quite a lot in his interviews. And we saw why, like you said, Chris, yesterday, he looks like he could be a handy player, but he needs minutes, doesn't he? And I guess kind of his natural is, you know, the, where do you play him as well? Does he fit into, does, does he, is he a chair, uh, will it replacement? Is he a number eight replacement? We're not quite sure, I guess, but either, I don't know if Beal even is, I guess it's a case of trying to try him, but uh, at Coventry or even beyond that, do we expect to see something different tactically? Or do you think he'll continue to push on? Dunk? Um, I don't think we'll see anything drastically change for the Coventry game. I don't think we've got enough personnel fit to completely like go to a back three and change it up too much. I think it will be getting to the World Cup break and then actually get fit bodies on the training pitch. And then you've, he's got, what, three, four weeks to really work on like different styles of play, different formations, tweaking it in-game, all that kind of stuff. So it's almost like another mini pre-season, isn't it? So I don't think there'll be too many changes before Coventry, but when we come back, I think there could be like a few like aces in the pack there. I think there might be a few tricks up his sleeve. 
we know where Sinclair was? Sinclair Armstrong. I, 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 he keeps getting in and out, in and out, and I don't, I don't know if he's injured. I don't think he is. It feels like are we. Does anyone? Has anyone? Are we being overprotective on him? Did he just fancy putting Macaulay Bond on the bench? Is anyone views on that? It was a weird one. I didn't. Didn't the, the club don't tweet out like the B team lineup for a game on the same day. I do find that yeah, a bit odd. I saw that. Yeah. Like, I know, like maybe that's going to interest. I don't know, fifteen percent of QPR fans who's actually playing in that game, but at least gives you a sense of basically players like Armstrong or that the ones who like could be in the squad might not be. Okay, well they're definitely not going to be in the squad. So if he played in it and he got 90 minutes, great. That's probably it. Might be better for his development um, than possibly getting on versus Huddersfield. But it is an odd one. And I can only assume that Bill, if he ever got questioned on it, would be, his answer would probably be, he's a young lad. We're taking it careful with him. Don't want to put too much on him too soon. Um, But I think it would have been I don't think last night would have suited him. He needs space to be able to run into. Um, we've just talked about Dykes not kind of being smart enough to find space in the box. Sinclair hopefully will be a great player for us, but I don't think he would have uh, found those spaces either. Um, and if we're looking for quick, intricate play around the box, so far of what we've seen, that didn't suit him anyway. So... Um, but it is an odd one. I'd put. I'd like to see him kind of be involved in the squad every week. But Beal and the coaching staff know better than, or shouldn't definitely know better than us. So there's got to be reasons for it. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just feel like to to, to develop him. I just feel like he just needs to be involved sometimes. Like even though he, I don't know. Could just be me. I just thought a game, even though you, I, I agree with you, it would have been difficult for him yesterday. I just thought that having him on the bench just gives you something. I know you, it's, we know how the game went, but we didn't know that that's how the game was going to go. Yeah. So, you know, so I just... Tom, he's, he's a great talent though, isn't he? Yeah, high hopes. Um, I, I think often the reasons for those things are surprisingly monotonous. Uh, maybe just a, a small, Ill, a small injury yeah. and could be uh it's um you know like i would counter about the kind of involvement and being around the games you know he, he started the game didn't he i'm sure he did was it the um the game he won the penalty and did he start that one or am i missing yeah yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. One, yeah 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 i mean that to me is, is pretty good progress for for the stage he's at in his development and i'm not sure um you know battering up against an obstinate huddersfield defense um is is necessarily um uh, going to give him the XP he needs from us at this point. Um, but uh, I'm sure he'll be back um, uh, in the squad soonish, especially if, as seems possible, uh, Bond might be off in January. He's got to be, hasn't he? I don't know. I think we often talk about this on the pod, but I mean, I, I don't get the impression that um, Beal Massive, that, you know, is his biggest fan. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what we do in January. I think there's a lot of fringe players. We've mentioned it a couple of times before that Thomas and, and, and Bond, um, Masterson. I mean, there's a few, isn't there? I, I would have said Adoma, really, but he, he got a surprising start yesterday, didn't he? Did you, did, did, I saw um, 
Beal mentioned that he was really happy with his performance. Um, I thought he did quite okay. I thought he did quite well. I thought, he, you know, he definitely got told to put balls in the box because that's all he did <laughs> every time he got it. Um, but it was good to see him on the pitch. Dunk? Uh, I haven't seen it. Like, you just love him because he loves the club and he's always, he always will put a shift in. Like, there might not always be the quality, but he will always put the effort in that sometimes we've always complained about previous players who just don't. And I don't know, I, I felt like the system, we changed it and we went like type of two holding midfielders and kind of like three more attacking with Vunks, Chair and Willock. And I, I don't know, I just felt like it didn't quite work as well as it has done recently when we've had the free hold, like the free proper central midfielders. I felt that like we kind of were losing a little bit of the midfield battle occasionally in the first half. And I don't know, like, I like him having him around. I just feel like he is going to have like these cameo games. And like, if Huddersfield weren't bottom of the league, I don't think he would have started, personally. Yeah, he... Um... Yeah, it was interesting to see a different, a slight tweak of the system. I just felt, I honestly could not believe that he took Laird off over Adoma at the point of the game that it was. Like, so I sit in uh, Stan Ball stand, so like Adoma and Laird were running past me countless times in that second half. And when the num- when Ethan Laird's number went up, he could not believe it. Like, look on his face. Like, I'm not going to say distraught, but like it was very clear Adoma had about five minutes of energy left and I just I can't understand why Beal thought that's the right sub to make because then he knows he's got to take Adoma off um then you're not going to have a double up in that scenario of two proper wide players getting round but also I think I agree with you Dunk that the change of system I don't think it helped Led. um because he's then got someone basically 10 yards in front of him who also wants to stay wide. There's only so many times you can make an underlapping run. They did it a few times, but then there was also times in the second half where he seemed a bit like not, not entirely sure what to do in this position. Normally I've got all that space so I can just stay wide and be that option. Um, so yeah, on reflection, I think he should have taken a domer off at that point, leave Laird at right back. He's got the energy to go for the full 90 or if he wants to give Shadipo five, 10 minutes at right emergency right back for a bit more energy and crossing, then, then he can. Um, but yeah, the bond one, I feel it might be the same thing again, that he's only going to, we're only going to look to move him like last minute of the window when we definitely secure somebody else. Let's say, we say to a club, all right, you can have Mac Bon in the first week of January and then we don't bring anybody in. You can bet your bottom dollar Dykes would get injured in the first game of February and we'd be left with, I don't like Chris Willett playing a false nine, which he did a couple of seasons. Was it last season? Maybe the season before. That can't last back. though in the window, mate, isn't it? I was just going to say, but sorry to interrupt about the, the we did we, we do it, we did it like, like, we did it this window where it was, a club will come in and say we'll pay X amount of his wages at the first of January, and as the January window goes on, we we want more, less and less and less and mm-hmm. less, and then it gets to the last day of the window, and before you know it, we, we and I just don't want that to happen because that's happened that, that happened in January last year. We panicked, got had to get Jeff Hendrick in, it, it panic. It, we we were close to buying or get bringing someone in in August, end of August, 
and Bob was off, was going to Charlton, wasn't he? And the time ran out. I just don't want that to happen. And I feel like if we move him on, then it we have to play the cards. Kind of, we have to bring someone in. Tom, I don't know what you think. Um, yeah, I wouldn't get your hopes up in January. To be honest, I think um, <laughs> I think the, the club would point to the FFP. I'd, 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 for very good reasons, I don't think they've um, anyone officially publishes where they're at with with relation to the FFP thing and. Clearly, the temptation um, is if, if you're close to challenging, you, you do what we did the year we uh, won the league in 2010-11 and you throw um, uh, Wayne Routledge at it. Um, was it Tommy Smith as well that season that we added in January? It was. Um, it seems, it yeah, seems to be a Ishmael Miller in, do you remember? Yeah, Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael Miller, of course. Yeah, who can forget Miller, about yeah. Leicester yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I I don't expect we'll be we'll be up there that close. And I think you know you have you have to have to have to try and stick to what the club is trying to do very long term, which is buy low, sell high, develop players, and then bring in better ones to replace them. And that will be the only way a club like ours can get back into the league and be sustainable. Um, I think it would be disastrous if we did try and massively overextend and. Um, spend money in January because I think what, what then happens potentially is you, you mess it up, you get into a you know situation Huddersfield were in last season when they were very, very unfortunate to lose the playoff final. Um, you know, can happen to anyone, can't it? And if you miss out, you're then in a situation where you're facing an FFP penalty, you've got to sell everyone and it's basically back to the sort of dark days of starting again under under Chris Ramsey or Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and um uh, you know, bracing yourself for a long, hard winter with Sebastian Poulter up front. Um, so uh, I think, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I think we missed Stephanie Hansen as well. I've got that written down. I think um, he's been a big lot. He's, he's, his form before he got injured was excellent. And I think having him in the centre of the park with Tim as well, kind of, you know, guiding him through the game helps. Um, so let's hope he comes back. Um, just quickly, the lads, Coventry Saturday, Coventry. What else? I saw the ad. Can see they, they've got what is it? Six clean sheets and eight, um, five on the bounce. It's going to be a tough, tough game. Um, we've got the usual massive following that we've taken the last few seasons as well, which is um, every, I don't know what's everyone just seems to jump on, don't they? Coventry away at the moment. But um, what are we thinking? Any predictions? Early predictions? Three 0 loss. Throwing it straight out there, <laughs> literally. Coventry are flying. We're dropping like a rock at the minute. I just, I don't see anything else but us getting turned over. Personally, that QPR though to do the opposite of QPR. Obviously, this last it, week has been QPR. It is, it is the opposite is it to us QPR? to do the opposite. But I just don't see it. I think that Coventry are flying at the minute, and I just feel like our confidence is in our boots, and I just don't think we're going to get a result at all. And I think it could be a bad game. I think we could 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 lose two three nil. Sorry, guys. Not optimistic view. <laughs> oh, I, I, I see no reason why we can't um, we can't get a result there. I think it's the vagaries of form and league positions and clean sheet records are often irrelevant at this level, as we've seen by our failure to <laughs> to beat Huddersfield team of children uh, who are in the bottom three. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. One or why not? One or Chris, what are you thinking, mate? 
was going to, given their defensive record, I was going to go for nil-nil and just hope that we uh, shut up shop on clean clean sheets, uh, sorry, set pieces. I was just looking back at the games that they've done, like they've been on obviously a great run, like six, yeah, six wins in eight. They beat Cardiff. Yeah, we've beaten them as, as well. They were poor. Sheffield United, they beat at home. Good, strong result. Beat Stoke away. Stoke were on a horrific run. Couldn't buy a home win until they played Nathan Jones last night, which was excellent to see. He lost. Yeah. Uh, drew at home with Rotherham. Right, we know Rotherham in a home game can be tough. Lost at home to Blackpool. Uh, they beat Blackburn, who had a man sent off. They won away at Watford. Yeah, great result, given that. And then they beat Wigan at home. And Wigan are... I know we've just lost the 23rd and 24th. So to say, are they beating Wigan who are in the bottom three doesn't mean a lot. But And I know I've just read all those results out and you can sort of tick those teams off and be like, oh, not many of them are great, but it's a championship and you just got to beat who's in front of you. But it's not, it's not the scariest thing in the world, but they're defensively solid. Um, Ethan Laird versus Jake Bidwell. He should be taking the mick with him. Um, so if we can push the ball wide to Ethan Laird, like he should have a field day down there. Um, I've been reading, Chris, that he's been their player of the season so far. I read it last week. Jake Bidwell? No I promise way. You, Surely I promise not. you, the fans were saying that he's been excellent this season, just as an FYI. So, And you know, we've experienced before, ex-players just seem to pull it out of the bag against Cooper. It doesn't matter who they are. They will, you know... Mm. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Todd, Todd Kane to come off the bench and get the winner for Coventry. <laughs> oh, get the yeah. winner, yeah. God. Uh, maybe we'll flip it round then, and this will be the week that Ozzy Kakai comes on and scores the winner in the last minute. That's what I'll go for. Yeah, one nil Kakai late goal. Love it. <laughs> oh, do you know what I was thinking about? The, the, just thinking about the, the, where we were, the season we went up, we beat Coventry away. I don't know. I was there, and we beat them two 0 Routledge, uh, Carl Walker scored as well. Sorry, he scored. Yeah. Um, and there definitely wasn't anywhere near 4,000 there. And we were like top of the league flying that season. <laughs> I was just that thinking back. I, think, I swear that game was on TV because I still remember yeah. watching it. I have a feeling it was around Christmas yeah. or like New Year. Yeah. Um, and so that will always, yeah. I think it was his, was it his last game or Carl Walker's last game. I don't know. Yeah, I, really I think it might, have been like boxing, goal, it might have been like the Boxing Day game, was it? Or was it the one in between Boxing Day and New Year? Sure, I can't remember. De- yeah, it's definitely Because he, definitely, he yeah. definitely went back in the January, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right, lads. Well, look, let's leave it there. Um, let's hope for a, um, a good result on Saturday. This good World Cup coming just seems absolutely crazy. It's what, 12 days away. I don't even, everyone's getting injured left, right, and centre, aren't they? Um, um, but um, let's hope we come back. Burnley at home, isn't it, on telly on a Sunday? Uh, but thanks for joining. Chris, Tom, thank you. Please come on again soon. Um, and have a great rest of the evening. You are. Thanks, guys. You are. You are. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.